It's great to see you all. Keep that uh, passage open, Luke chapter 2. I just want to tell you, this is actually a special passage for me that we're looking at tonight. This was uh, the passage I preached on on my first Sunday at St George North many, many years ago, before some of you were born. But anyway, uh, funnily enough, way back then in the dark ages, uh, I started a couple of weeks after Christmas on a Sunday like this, and the previous minister has obviously arranged for us to just keep preaching through Luke out of Christmas like we've been doing here. Uh, And I must admit, I remember very, very little about that sermon. I tried to find my notes on it during the week. Uh, The computer I did it on is long gone, obviously. I couldn't find the notes. The one thing I remember, though, is it was really short. Uh, And in fact, there's a couple of people at our morning congregations who were here all those years ago, uh, and they still remember this sermon. They still say it was the best sermon I ever preached because it went for 13 minutes. And in fact, it's sort of become like uh, apocryphal. It's, it's sort of taken on a life of its own over the years. And these couple of people who may or may not be the parents of some people here tonight, uh, sometimes say that I preached for three minutes on that first Sunday. It's become, you know, it's taken on a life of its own. But what happened was we moved in uh, to the church house just around the corner where the Moors now live, just on Cameron Street there. And uh, we moved in on the Thursday and uh, the, my boss at the time had left a note on a table asking me to preach on the Sunday on this passage and we moved in on the Thursday we were doing stuff and at some point that note just sort of went woof off and went down the back and I found it on Saturday morning and so uh, that's how much preparation to to preach my first sermon to people I'd never met before it's not a good lesson in how to start a preaching ministry Uh, but what it meant was it was very very short so what I can promise you is tonight's sermon has more preparation than that sermon. I've done a lot more preparation than I did for that one, but I can't promise you it'll be a short. So anyway, let's pray before we look at this last part of the Christmas story. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way you have revealed your Son to us, and we thank you for the joy it's been over this last few weeks before Christmas and then through Christmas and now uh, to see the start of Jesus' story, beginning with those promises Uh, made by the angels to Mary and now coming to this little story about Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. So we pray that again we'll be encouraged by it but again we'll be pointed to reminded of uh, exactly who our Lord Jesus is and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think this uh, page is one of the most interesting little stories in the Bible because it's actually the only story we have of Jesus as a child. So if you think about it you've got the four gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all of them focus predominantly on that three years of Jesus' life, between the ages of 30 and 33, roughly, when he started doing his preaching and teaching and miracles and then went to his death and resurrection. So that's, uh, And that is all, really, uh, that John and Mark tell us about. It's only Matthew and Luke that tell you what we call the Christmas story, you know, so all the stories about Jesus as a baby and all that sort of thing. And only Luke gives us an only one story this little insight into Jesus as a 12-year-old. Other than this story in the Gospels, we have nothing about Jesus from the age of 2 to the age of 30, which I think is pretty amazing. So you go from the baby stories of Christmas right through to his ministry, but in between there's nothing other than this one little story. And I think that makes it pretty special. So come with me to set the scene. I want you to remember what we've been looking at over these last few weeks, starting before Christmas. Flick back in your Bible to chapter 1 of Luke, just sort of scan over it. You remember we started the story with the appearances of the angel Gabriel. First of all to Elizabeth, who's Mary's cousin, and that was about the birth of John the Baptist, and then to Mary herself. And from the beginning, it was all about how this child was going to be special. 
So the angel told Mary, your child will be called the Son of the Most High. More than that, he will be the Messiah. He will be the one descended from King David in the Old Testament. He will be the Saviour King who God has promised. Then when Jesus was born, remember we looked at it on Christmas Day, at the story of how the shepherds were in the fields near Bethlehem, the angels appeared to them in glory and they told them again, go and worship this baby Jesus. He is my son. He he is the Messiah. He is the saviour of the world. So the shepherds went into Bethlehem, they found Mary and Joseph and they worshipped the baby Jesus and told them everything they'd heard. Then last week, you saw how Mary and Joseph took Jesus up to the temple to be circumcised. They did everything that the law, the Old Testament, said you had to do with their child. So he was only eight days old. And you might remember, we saw it last week, as they were going into the temple, they had this weird moment where these two elderly people, Simeon and Anna, took the baby off them and said, we can die now because we have seen the saviour of the world, which would be disconcerting to say the least for Mary and Joseph. So all of that happened and all those things happened, and including the stuff we didn't read about in Luke that happened in Matthew's gospel, like the three wise men and all that sort of thing, that all happened before Jesus was two years old. And in fact, Luke has got it to all happening within eight days of Jesus' birth. But what do you do with that? Just for a moment, put yourself in Mary and Joseph's shoes. You've had an angel appear to you and tell you that your son is the saviour of the world, the son of the most high. He's told you, you have to name him Jesus because it means God saves and that's what your son is going to do. What do you do with a baby who's had those incredible claims and, and statements made about them? See, the problem was at the moment, it was all just words. They were just stuck still with the little baby. See, they'd been told things, this is what he will grow up to do, but he's just a normal little baby boy who had to learn to talk and walk and eat and all that. I think sometimes people think Jesus was sort of like some superhero who wouldn't have had to do all the stuff that human beings have to do and learn as babies. That's not true. Remember, Jesus humbled himself and became a human being like us in every way except without sin. But in every other sense, he took on all our frailties. Human babies are actually the least equipped babies in the whole of things that get born in our world to live. Human babies are the weakest things there are. I don't know, you see it on the David Attenborough things. The baby pops out and gets up and runs away from the lion straight away. You know, not human babies. We're hopeless. So Jesus was frail. He was helpless, for want of a better word. And so for Mary and Joseph, it wasn't like they were going to march into the Roman centurion's house or march into Herod's palace and say, here is the king, get out. If they did, what would have happened? They would have been killed. The baby Jesus would have been killed. It would have been all over then and there. So what did Mary and Joseph do? Well, it tells us the start of our passage today. Basically, they just withdrew from Jerusalem and went and raised their little boy. So come with me to verse 39. It says, when they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. You see a few little things there. The first is, notice how much it focuses on how they raised Jesus as a faithful Jew. Jesus did everything right. They did everything right for Jesus. They did everything the law said you should do for your child. Uh, He was circumcised on the eighth day, like the Old Testament law said. They made the sacrifices on his behalf that the Old Testament law said. They would have taken him to the synagogue each week to learn the law, to learn the Old Testament. But they did all of that a long way away from Jerusalem, up in Nazareth. And basically, Jesus had a normal life. 
from the age of two to the age of 30, he just had a normal life. He had a normal childhood, playing with his brothers and sisters, working with his father, doing all those things. But at the same time, if you look at that verse again, you see there was something obviously special about him. It says he was marked by his wisdom. I think that means it seems he, he seemed to grasp God's word in a way that just was more than a normal child could grasp God's word. And so that's the summary of Jesus from age 2 to 30. That's all the information we have other than this one little story. So let's look from verse 41. So what it's talking about here is every year around the time we now call Easter, Jesus' parents travelled up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Now the Passover festival was the most important event, still is for Jews today, the most important event in the calendar. And faithful Jews were meant to go to Jerusalem a number of times a year for all the various festivals that the Old Testament talked about, but most of them didn't. Most of them didn't bother going. But everyone who was faithful went up to Jerusalem for Passover. That's how important it was. Because it was the big celebration, because it was where they celebrated when God had saved them. Where God had, remember what happened on the Passover? God saved them out of slavery in Egypt, took them to the promised land with a lot in between, and then gave them the promised land. So that's what they were going to celebrate. So they did this every year. Jesus would have gone up with his family every year to Jerusalem, but it tells us about this one time when Jesus was 12 years old. Now, it was about 80 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem, but you had to go the long way round because you didn't go through Samaria. Remember how you meet the Samaritans later in the Gospels? Well, they didn't like the Samaritans, so they went the long way round. And they all went together. This would have been like a, an extended family camping trip, basically. So everyone would have gone, all the grandparents, all the cousins, everywhere, all heading to the feast. That's the background to what happened on the way home. Come to verse 43. It says, after those days were over, so after they've been and done everything at the festival, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the travelling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. So matter of fact, isn't it? Uh, they'd headed home. They'd assumed he was just sort of at the back of the caravan, hanging out with the cousins, they'd left their 12-year-old back in the city. If you've uh, ever lost a child or a child you're minding, for most of you, uh, for even a moment, it is a horrible, horrible feeling. I've asked Sophie, Sophie's not here tonight, but I've asked her permission to share this story. Uh, one time I'd taken Sophie with me to Maya at Hurstville, uh, and she was about six, and uh, what had happened was we were going on holidays and uh, we, we needed a new, the suitcase broke as we were packing it. We were overpacking and it broke. And so I needed to go get a new suitcase because we were getting on a plane at, you know, 6am the next morning. And so I'm dragging Sophie through Meyer at Hurstville and you go in past the perfume, for some reason there's always perfume at the front, past the clothes, past the toy section and the suitcases are right at the back and I get there and I'm looking and I'm all stressed and I'm looking at all these suitcases and they're all really expensive and I have to find the cheapest one that's the biggest one because that's the way I shop and anyway I time I'm frantic and, and, and then I so I turn to Sophie and say what do you think about this one for some reason I think a six-year-old is going to give me helpful advice and she's not there 
And so I, at that, you just go irrational at that point. So I'm, I'm looking underneath all the things. I'm looking in the suitcases. I'm, and, and then I think I'll retrace my steps. So I go back past the toys, past the clothes, past the perfume, get to the front of the store. I think, oh, no, she's left. Because once you get out into Westfield, it's crazy town, you know. And, and so I'm thinking, oh, I've lost Sophie. And then over the loudspeaker comes paging customer Phil, paging customer Phil. Will customer Phil please come to the electronics department? Because, you see, Sophie had found the lure of the toy section too much as we'd gone past. She'd taken a, a divergence, then she couldn't find me. So this nice lady had found her wandering and taken her to the electronics department, given her a lolly, and then they called my name over the speaker. Crisis averted. But for some time after that, if her brother and sister wanted to upset her, they would just say, you know, make that noise like the loudspeaker, customer fill, and that would be enough to set Sophie off. Not now, she's much older now. That is Mary and Joseph here. They, they rush back to Jerusalem. They search everywhere. I don't know what the equivalent of the toy section was, but that's where they would have gone. And eventually they find him. Look at verse 46. It says, After three days they found him in the temple complex, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And this is where we start to get to the point of this story. See, this story is not here to make negligent parents like me feel better about ourselves. Oh, even Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, so I'm not that bad. In fact, after church this morning, let me tell you, I had to do like a counselling session for the number of people who had, oh, do you know, I lost my child and, you know, and all the... Anyway, that's not what it's here for. It's here to teach us about Jesus. See, because as he sat there talking to the experts in the law, the priests, the Pharisees and the scribes, remember, they're the people he's going to confound as an adult. People realise this is no ordinary 12-year-old kid. Look at verse 47. It says, And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. See, Jesus knew the Scriptures so well that people were amazed. You know, how could this be? Who is this kid? I love it when I go and listen in on some of our kids' programs. So sometimes, you know, if I'm not preaching in the morning, I might just sort of duck in and stick my head into kids' church or I might on a Friday afternoon at Kids Plus or Kids Holiday Club or even Snack Youth. And, and you can hear kids who know their Bibles so well, uh, you know, who can articulate theological truths about God and about the world and about themselves. Uh, sometimes, frankly, I go and talk to their parents and try and encourage their parents to know their Bible as well as their kids. That's how good often our kids' ministry is here. And you guys know that. Many of you are involved in it. Jesus was next level. Think the smartest kid who knows their Bible the best in your kids' church class. Jesus was next level and people were amazed. But it's safe to say there were two people who were not as excited at this point, And that's his mum and dad. Look at verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Every parent knows uh, that mixture of relief and annoyance. When I found Sophie, I'm then, you then have like an angry moment, even though it's not their fault. It's because in your relief, you're angry. That's what Mary and Joseph are here. But if we pause the story at this point, I think there are actually a couple of questions sort of hanging in the air at this point of the story. Firstly, how does Jesus have this incredible wisdom at this age? That's the first question. But the second question is actually even more important, and it's Mary's question. Why did Jesus stay in the temple instead of going with his parents? Some people even ask, was Jesus actually in the wrong here? Uh, was he doing the wrong thing here to upset his parents in this way? But Jesus' answer is quite incredible and it actually answers both or all the questions. See, his answer is, 
when you understand who I am, if you understand who I am, if you understand what I'm here to be and what I'm here to do, then of course I will firstly know and love God's Word and of course, secondly, I will be in my Father's house. I'll be in the temple. You see, it's a really sort of a bit of a play on the words there. Go, go back to Mary's question. Go back to verse 48. Do you see how she says at the end of it, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Who's she talking about? She's talking about Joseph and herself. But do you notice Jesus' response? Look at verse 49. It's the key verse of the little story. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Don't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And I actually think there's a little bit of a gentle rebuke in Jesus' voice here. The 12-year-old is actually rebuking his parents. Mary and Joseph, you should have known where I was. You had angels tell you who I was. You had shepherds come and worship me as a baby. Don't you remember what they said? Don't you remember? I am the son of the Most High. And so Jesus says, look there, he says, I had to be. Not there was every chance I'd be. Not there was a good chance I'd be. I had to be, I must be in my father's house. As I say, this is the key verse of the passage. In fact, these are the first words we ever hear from Jesus' own lips, which makes them pretty special, I think. I had to be in my father's house. See, from the very beginning, Jesus knew who he was and he knew why he had come. And here Jesus is saying for the first time, yes, Joseph is my father in that sense, but my true father is God in heaven. I am the son of God. See, why is Jesus so wise? Why is he so knowledgeable in the things of God? Well, it's because he knows God personally like no teacher, no scribe could ever do. That's why as an adult, Jesus would say, John 14, 7, if you know me, you know the father. We're that close If you know me, Jesus says, you know the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him, he says. That is how close the relationship of Jesus is to his heavenly Father. And so, of course, Jesus had to be in the temple because the temple is where God at that time, symbolically at least, dwelt on earth. That's that's what the temple was. That is where you went to do business with God, which is what Jesus was here to do. See, at this point... We're seeing that Jesus, even as a 12-year-old, he had accepted the expectations placed on him as a baby. Jesus is saying, I am the Son of God. I'm here to do the things people said I would do, the angels said I would do. I'm here to save the world. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to do my Father's work, the business of revealing him and saving a people for his very own. So the thing is, people would have expected Jesus to follow his father, that is Joseph, into the family business take over the carpentry business. That's why all through the Gospels, there's little comments where people go, isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't isn't he the carpenter from Nazareth? But Jesus is saying, no, I'm not. I am the son of God and I'm here to do my father's business. But Jesus is saying something more than that. And this is something Mary was going to feel really strongly. Uh, Go back to last week's passage. Remember last week's passage with Simeon? And have a look just again at verse uh, 34 and 35. Remember Simeon, the old man, blessed Jesus and blessed Mary but then he said he will be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul see Jesus' mission was going to mean that he would cause Mary incredible anxiety and pain 
Because the time would come when she would lose Jesus again, when Jesus would be killed in Jerusalem and then after three days rise from the dead. And you can only imagine the pain for Mary as a mother then. And in many ways, I actually think this three days of anxiety for Mary and Joseph was sort of pointing forward to that three days in 30 years' time when they were going to lose Jesus once and for all, if you like, when he went to his death, but then find him again three days later through his resurrection. So I think this little story is actually a foretaste of the rest of the Gospel of Luke. That's why it's here. It's actually sort of setting out, this is what's going to happen. It's a foretaste of Jesus' ministry as an adult. He was going to amaze people with his wisdom and with his teaching. He was going to run rings around the scribes and the teachers of the law. Jesus was here to do his Father's work and reveal himself to be the Son of God. And more than that, Jesus would cause Mary great pain when again he says, I have to go to the cross. But there's another sense that's a foretaste. And that's in the way his parents still can't get it. Do you notice that? Look at me again at the end of the story. Look from verse 50. It says, but they, that's Mary and Joseph, they did not understand what he said to them. We think this is incredible. We think, if I had an angel tell me stuff, I'd get it. I'd understand it. You know, but even Mary and Joseph struggled to believe everything they had heard about Jesus. They had some idea, but they couldn't get the full picture. They couldn't understand Jesus' mission. There's a little moment, a little later on in the Gospels, you might know it, where where once Jesus started his ministry, his mother actually comes outside where he's teaching and doing stuff and tries to tell him to come home. You're causing trouble. Just, Just stop being a pain, if you like. Come home. Even Mary didn't get it. And they're a little bit like the disciples later in the story. You know how they work out Jesus is special. They say, we know you're the Messiah, but then they don't grasp the wonder of it. And they can't believe that he's going to die and they can't believe he's going to rise again. And they don't grasp any of it really until after his resurrection. And in the end, that is the struggle that every person has to go go through. Every person has to actually do what Mary and Joseph did. Mary and Joseph are sort of us in this story. Every person has to work out who Jesus is. I don't mean work it out in that find your truth nonsense that people go on about today. The truth about Jesus is clear. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Saviour of the world, the Lord. The question for every person is, have you understood that? Have you grasped who he is and do you follow him? It's funny, over the last few weeks, I've read several things where people have come up with, this is who I think Jesus is. It's like newspaper editorials around Christmas time. For some reason, people go, here's who I think Jesus is. And then what they do is they create a Jesus who supports the causes they love. So I read, Victoria actually read a novel and she gave it to me. And where this person had come up with, here's my picture of Jesus. And that's why he supports climate change. And it's like, well, that might be a good cause. Jesus might have done something, but that's not why he was here. People love doing it. I think Jesus is a great teacher. I think Jesus is a, is a great example. None of that matters because in the end, you don't get to decide who Jesus is. He tells you who he is. And he's told us here in these first two chapters of Luke, I am the son of God and I've come here to do my father's work, which is to save a people for his very own. Our job is to believe in him and follow him. So I hope as we've looked at these first two chapters of Luke, you've been reminded or perhaps for the first time come to know, but for most of us reminded who Jesus is and why God says he came. He is the son of the most high. That is who we worship. He is the Messiah, 
He is the Lord, he is the saviour of the world and he came to do his father's work which is to save a people for his very own. So let's keep that wonderful truth at the centre of our minds as we start this new year. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all we've learnt or been reminded of over these last few weeks in the Christmas story. We thank you that you did not leave us in darkness but instead you've sent your son into the world to reveal yourself to us but more than that to be our Saviour and Lord. And so we pray that we would never forget who our Lord Jesus is and never turn aside from following him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.